0: You're listening to the Sands Pants Network Home of comedy (laughs) Culture Adventures And ghosts
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish I'm George Demorellis. This is a show we ask you what's your story And what does it say about you Today on the show we have performance and lifestyle
0: coach Blake Worrell-Thompson How are you doing, Blake? Good, George. I'm good because I'm a little bit tired in what's been a big year, but um, mate, I'm great.
1: Yeah. I was going to say like, uh, yes, performance lifestyle coach. I always wonder like how much that feeds into like every interaction, always being like, you know, you meet someone who's always excessively positive and you're like, uh, I don't know if that's being as realistic. So I appreciated your... Honesty on the good versus great thing there.
0: Well, mate, I I, I was talking about this exact thing last night. It's very Australian, isn't it? I don't know what the other countries use, but like, I'm fine or whatever it might be. And, you know, it's so kind of inbuilt in us to kind of, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good, whatever it might be. But to really be able to communicate exactly where you're at, I think it's really important for connection and your mental wellbeing and, and, you know, communicating properly as well.
1: Yeah, which ties into your book and also your personal story. So I think in this case, we can start on the book and kind of jump around, although it does feel like we're going to go into with your personal history as well. But uh, let's do the book first, and then we'll jump around from there. So your book of choice for today is? Lost Connections by
0: Johan Hari, which is an absolute belter.
1: Yeah, it's a book just basically it's a journalist who had his own issues with depression through his life and getting on depressants. He kind of puts a journalistic eye on the The whole cause of depression and tries to look at it beyond pharmaceutical methods for dealing with it, and kind of provides professional and like talking to people from who are going through it as well to build a kind of new image of what depression is. Is that is that a good summary of it? That's a really
0: good summary. Um, That's a really good summary. And for me, you know, like I've spent a lot of time understanding human behavior, mental well-being, mental health. And he really solidifies it in a way that is quite encompassing because, you know, for a lot of people, it's quite esoteric or there's, there's many different avenues to understanding mental well being, you know, meaning, fulfillment, whatever it may be. And he really solidifies it in a simple and easy to understand approach. And I guess for me, you know, one of the things that I'm really big on with, I guess, my message and, and the people that I work with is... Challenging the system, especially if the system or quote-unquote the system isn't necessarily working for you. And I look at the, you know, I'm super passionate obviously about mental health, but physical health as well. And I look at those two overarching themes amongst Australians, but US, you know, UK, South Africa, and the system's not working. Like we are fucking disgustingly overweight as a collective and mental health is at an all-time low and you know for me it's always made sense to look at the results not just buy into the system because it's a system and the results are shit so why would people just follow without asking more questions and that's one of the things that i really like that he looks at you know at the start of the book and then he obviously breaks it down into different areas that will help um your mental well-being right
1: so is that a? Uh, I i guess for. Because, again, looking at where you'd come from with that, you, have you always been like at least health-based? Because it looks like you, from my understanding, you kind of had a bit of a rough patch a couple of years ago. Before mm. then, were you in the same sort of industry or was that a switch that happened? Or
0: No, I was, I was in the, um, the health and fitness space. I was I was a personal trainer for I think it was about 15 years and I did that straight out of school, which, you know, in hindsight to find what you're passionate about straight out of school was fucking amazing and so rare and I definitely wasn't. The most talented kid. I went to very good schools, but I was I really struggled from a school point of view. And then it just landed for me, you know. I wanted to play AFL, didn't make that happen. And then, you know, the closest thing for me to that was personal training. And at eighteen found an opening there, did it for fifteen years, I think fifteen years, something like that. And probably in the last eighteen months it started to die within me. And, you know, the the nature of where I was evolving in terms of myself and where I wanted to go was more around the coaching, mindset, lifestyle and performance. And I just wanted to have a bigger impact than, you know, the sets, reps, steamed broccoli and boiled chicken that is the four walls of the gym. And, you know, that's when I started to really expand my learnings beyond, you know, workouts and nutrition and started to look at mental well-being, peak performance and that was, you know, somewhat of a transition, albeit quite a rough transition into the coaching space. And, you know, probably in part it was rough because I was deluded into thinking this there'd be this like perfectly, you know, this perfect transition from the health and fitness space into kind of the coaching and the mindset space. So yeah, it was a two-year period that was very shaky. And, you know, I think to be fair, one of the things that you know, as as dark as it sounds, one of the things that probably kept me alive was that I had spent a couple of years prior to that two year period really understanding, you know, mindset, peak performance, mental wellbeing, and books like Lost Connections played a you know a pivotal role in keeping me alive, keeping me going, and, and you know helping me kind of see through that you know pretty challenging and hairy time. Right. Um. So,
1: for, firstly, I think it's actually even though it's very obvious now that I think about it, the connection between being someone like coaching people with the body like PT, and then actually transitioning from there into a more holistic approach. Actually, that does make sense as a, as a, as a path, I guess. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I agree. The, uh, the sets reps and, uh, steamed broccoli, it's a, it's a, it's a young person's thing where you're like, yeah, let's just, yeah. Cause that's a, that's when you're 20 and stuff, but I think it does shift as you get older. You can still have a soft spot for that. I wasn't ever extreme, but I always I, was,
0: I was at a a spot for it. You know, you go through periods. Yeah. You know, when you're 21 and stuff. Um, well, mate, I, I still love it now. You know, like I'm I'm two weeks away from doing an Ironman, which is a, obviously as physical a challenge as you can kind of get in in the space of endurance. So I still love health and fitness, and it's still kind of the foundation of everything for me. But there's not that there's not really the aesthetic element that there once was, and just, yeah, I guess really, you know, a much bigger picture for me now than, you know, what is the gym for me at least anyway. And, and you know, no right or wrong. And it's still a you know super important part to people's lives, but it doesn't play quite the, the role that it used to.
1: Yeah, no, look, I 100% agree. I think uh, you and I would would vibe on certain things a lot. Like The the, the basis of everything else there, it's something which I often get in disagreement with a lot of people about because of my uh, very firm belief. And also, I know it comes from a position where I've gotten used to it. And maybe I had an easy way to get used to it early. But the importance of exercise on everything is just, it blows my mind a little bit. And I, I don't want to judge people because people have their work schedules and stuff. And obviously, and again, when you get used to it early, it's a lot easier for you to maintain it when life gets harder. But like, It's just so valuable. Like staying fit is so important for your mental health and stuff. Mm. uh, Honestly, I'm amazed at people who who don't manage to have the same clarity of thought. Sometimes uh, surprises me, to be honest.
0: Well, mate, on that, you know, like I'm I'm in two minds, and you know, there's almost that duality of it of like I'm compassionate towards people's struggles because fuck, I've been there, and. There's no bullshit for me when it comes to exercise. You do it. You just have to do it. And if that means you get up at fucking four thirty in the morning to do it for thirty minutes before, you know, your kids get up or you get up at five o'clock and you do ten minutes of burpees, it's a bullshit excuse time. Like we've all got the same twenty four hours and yes, we've all got different routines and you know, I I empathize with those that have got kids and, you know, all the other things. You find a way. If you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. And that mate It could be 10 minutes, you know, it could be 10 minutes of burpees. It could be, you know, intervals of 30 seconds of lunges and 30 seconds of rest, and you do five rounds of that. It doesn't have to be March. And, you know, even right now is a perfect example. People looking at, you know, me kind of two weeks away from an Ironman going, fuck, like, I couldn't do an Ironman. No shit. Of course you can't do an Ironman without 12 months of training. I couldn't do an Ironman when I started in November last year and I was 90 kilos and fucking absolutely blowing a gasket after a five kilometer run either. You know, like it starts somewhere. It doesn't have to be big, but start somewhere and be consistent with it.
1: Mm.
0: Is that um, – actually, just to clarify, how, what is the distance with Ironmans? The Ironmans a 3.8K swim, 180K bike ride and a 42K run. Jesus Christ.
1: That is lot. fast. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, no, look,
1: I, I think I'm also a while away from one of those. <laughs> think,
0: yeah. Mate, everyone's a while away until they're not. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and fuck, if you saw me last November – I was in some pretty average condition. You know, I was having a good time and fitness has always been a big part, but there's doing fitness and then they're spending 12 months kind of building towards a you know 12 to 13-hour race. So just start somewhere. Yeah, that's impressive. Actually, so with the book in terms of because
1: I'm wondering where this ties in with your issues with like mm. you said, you had the rough patch and all that. So in terms of because I do want to talk about the more
0: detailed stuff in the book, but before that, just mm. where did you first read it? I read it, I reckon, when it first came out, which must have been four years ago, potentially. Maybe even more recent. I can't remember my exact timeline. If I've got my timeline right, might have actually been reading it in the mix of Shit Hitting the Fan, potentially, as well. So it might have even been... Yeah, it might have been two and a half years ago. But it was... Yeah, I reckon i 've read it now three or four times, and i and for me i 'm a bit of a bookworm I'm, by the sounds of your your podcast you are as well and you know i take a i 've got a Google doc for every book that i've ever read, and I read a lot, and you know I often kind of refer back to notes and and will take bits you know if i'm looking for ideas around writing or blog posts or you know Instagram posts or whatever it might be so I do reference back to that a lot and just find it so valuable the information that's in that book mm. All right. So yeah, I guess uh, that's what I was wondering where like
1: on your journey, you became aware of your own issues with it. Like whether it was something, it was something you felt earlier. Like, is in even, I don't know if you want to go into too much detail about mm. where you were at with that period in your life where it was a bit harder, mm. but like, was it something you'd always felt like is because the book's about depression, I guess was it technically suffering depression or was it more just like a really hard time? Like, how does that work? I guess.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, you know, in hindsight, I would have had pretty strong depression at that time. And Awareness is a beautiful thing. So is hindsight, and I, I wouldn't have known at the time that I had, you know, depression. In fact, you know, Janelle, who's one of my business partners, I remember saying to him when I felt like I was close to rock bottom and everything was stripped away from me—everything, job, identity, girlfriends—was like a few days away from not having a house, like everything. And I remember saying to him that, "Fuck, mate, at least I've still got my mental and physical health." god bless him absolutely no way did i have my mental health at that time and then next week i ended up in in hospital with what they thought was meningococcal and (laughs) that was my final moment of like fuck you know I, I don't know what else to do i surrender show me what i need to see as kind of woo-woo as that sounds but i was like it was somewhat of the waving of the white flag which doesn't sit well with me but i just kept on trying to fight against it and it just kept shit just kept on hitting the fan and just hit after hit and you know things went wrong i was like i just finally surrendered it's like all right show me what i need to see and then you know it was actually a week after that that the first idea for the new business kind of came through and we started to build pretty quickly back up. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, one of the, one of the struggles I think for a lot of people is, you know, anxiety, what is it? One in four, I'd say it's probably even potentially, you know, two in four, so 50% is there's this elusive carrot that society dangles in front of us that for most people, they continue to chase their whole life you know, the the shinier car, got the shinier car, now I'm going to go a bigger car, got the bigger car, now I'm going to go. And you just keep chasing, you just keep chasing. And I think most people can probably connect with the fact that for most of us on some level is we've succeeded in reaching that goal, you know, acquiring whatever that might be, only to realize that, oh, fuck, like, you know, twenty-four hours later you've got a few high fives, you posted something on social and then like it wears off and then you're like, Oh, so I must need another pay rise, I must I must need a bigger house, a shinier car, whatever it may be. And you keep on this hamster wheel of society, keep chasing that thing that's just in front of you. And in terms of how the economy runs and, and somewhat, you know, consumerism, I understand that's how it has to be. I mean, that's how it is. People are on that hamster wheel of constantly chasing and acquiring the materialistic kind of ego status driven society that we live in. But like, I ticked a lot of those boxes and that little voice inside me kept on coming back of like, is this it? Is this all there is? And, you know, no matter how many of those boxes I ticked, that voice was still there. And what I found over the last 18 months is I've done a lot of kind of soul searching and started to line myself up really nicely with what is true to me, is that voice hasn't been there for 18 months. And I've got no doubt that at some stage, that voice will come back. And that's when I'm required to come more into alignment or required to step up again. But that voice has not appeared once in the last 18 months for me. Right. And that's because you had
1: tried to set up a lifestyle for yourself, which kind of did it
0: made you more aligned
1: with yourself but like i guess the question there was straight away and i mean maybe this relates to this, the readings you've done including this book and maybe other stuff but how would you how do you know how do you how do you figure out your thing to line up with like it's very easy to say that without actually you know people can sit there and brain dump all day but it's like how do you really
0: know what you want or like yeah how do you align that stuff i guess Mate, it's, it's the million dollar question, really. And, you know, for me, getting in touch with your intuition is, isn't something that I was familiar with. Like, for me, my whole upbringing up until three or four years ago was like, how mentally strong could I be? And how could I kind of mentally force my way through? And, The difference between that version and the version, I guess, of myself now is that there's a lot of time in stillness, silence, solitude, and surrendering. And most people are not comfortable with those, but it's in the stillness or the silence or the solitude where an idea will drop in because we've got all the answers within us. The problem is that we outsource our truth. We outsource our truth to government. Mainstream media, mum, dad, the school system, whatever it may be. We know our truth. But, you know, Blaise Pascal, man's greatest challenge is sitting with his own thoughts. Like, very rarely are people comfortable enough to start sitting with their own truth and just tuning into it. The fucking magic's there. And, you know, I did a a thing called a 10 day Vipassana, which was a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And mate, the amount of fucking nuggets that just dropped in time after time of things that, like, I couldn't get my head around for 12, 13, 14 years, things that were going wrong in business, relationships, whatever it may be. When I just sat with my own thoughts and the magic that came up, it's so powerful. But for a lot of people, that's as scary as anything and they'll never kind of tap into that. So they'll take on, you know, their parents' values, they'll take on society's values, they'll take on their environmental or geographic location values. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're if you're a country kid who values family, friendships, connection, loyalty, you know, that might be what you're brought up in as part of family. And then you might move somewhere you know, like the eastern suburbs of Sydney, where as a collective, there's a strong value around materialistic status, money, career, kind of ego-driven stuff. And that's not to say obviously everyone in that space, but having spent 12 or 13 years there, it's a pretty obvious collective value hierarchy. So it's easy to lose yourself, really easy to lose yourself when you don't spend enough time with yourself to know what's true to you.
1: Yeah, I guess, um, I, I agree with, yeah, I guess because it's always complicated this stuff, right? Because there's always the, finding what's true to you but then also finding having people pull you up when you maybe uh you think you found what's true to you but maybe you're like misled or you're misguided and stuff like that so i guess balancing those two things is a never-ending process so yeah because i mean we don't know everything any individual doesn't know everything so like mm-hmm. sometimes it can be hard to balance that out with what you're seeing in the world so yeah i guess is that is that part of the guidance thing do you use other people for that like how, how do you figure that out i guess as well
0: yeah, I've got a much smaller soundboard than I used to. And that's intentional because everyone's got an opinion, especially those that aren't living their best life themselves. <laughs> they tend to be the noisiest people. So I've really quietened down the environment and the, and the people that I turn to for advice. And, you know, as, as dark as it can sound, you've got to remember that not everyone has your best intention at heart. And that's sometimes not necessarily coming from a malice place, but it's coming from the fact that when you're doing well and really well, it shines light on the fact that they're not fulfilled, they're not happy, they haven't done much for themselves over the last few years. And that doesn't create a, the healthiest of environments. And from a a goic point of view is a lot of people are competing and comparing themselves to which is a fucking horrible place to be and when you find yourself in that dynamic again it's not super healthy so my soundboard is essentially pretty tight these days and even from a social media point of view dude like i outsource my social media so you know i've got someone who i'll send everything to them through whatsapp And they'll send everything back to me. So on a Monday and Friday, they send me all my DMs. So all the DMs and all all the messaging and everything is me, but it goes through WhatsApp. So I'm not getting distracted by social media. I'm not getting caught caught up in the noise because it's a noisy place. It's a really noisy place. And, you know, one of the things I struggled with when I was younger was focus and ADHD and, and those type of things. So I'm working more and more towards being focused, which allows me to have more and more impact. Otherwise, you just get caught up in the fucking noise. that is social media. So that soundboard is really tight these days. And my inner circle is the tightest it's ever been. And, you know, in that, self-awareness a book called maybe it's called the inside of self-awareness which is another one we're speaking of Mm -hmm. is whoever the author is and i can't remember her name off the top of my head i think she's a doctor she talks about internal self-awareness versus external self-awareness so internal self-awareness is how you see yourself external self-awareness is how others see you what was really interesting in that was there was no correlation between the two. And for me, that made heaps of sense because I was like, fuck, I spent so much time building self-awareness, but I actually wouldn't have a clue how I was perceived by others. And the value in having that soundboard is that, you know, times were a little bit delusional. For me, that's the scariest thing now because delusion is part of the reason that i got myself into the pitfall that i did so i like i can't handle anyone that doesn't tell the truth because that that actually scares me more than anything at the moment But it also gives me a chance, those people that are externally kind of giving me feedback to be able to identify and bring to light things that are barriers or blind spots for me, things that I can't see that aren't working for me or that aren't clear. So lots of self-awareness and that's a big piece for me. And then having that external soundboard to help me iron out anything that I can't see is super valuable. Right. Death. That makes sense. Just about picking, I guess, the right people to have that sounding
1: board with that you can trust. Mm-hmm. So, you've mentioned uh, like the ADHD stuff and the connections, and this, and it is something that's in the book a bit because, like, it's a complicated scientific topic in a lot of ways. So, it's kind of, we got to obviously, both neither of us are doctors, but we'll figure it out. So, the book, it's the focus it has is on the idea, essentially, on community being lacking in some ways from the modern life, which is something I think everyone would agree with to a degree. Mm-hmm. That at least, yeah, there's definitely a Sense of atomization now compared to life fifty years ago, whatever. Mm. Like, and that's that's one of the disconnections because it talks about a few connections in there. It talks about it from um, I looked at it this morning. So from uh, fulfilling work and childhood trauma issues, maybe, and then what was the other ones? Uh, fa- was a family, and then yeah, so was the a natural few- world,
0: your values, hopeful and, and secure future as well, which is probably as strong at the moment as anything with what's going on in the world. That would really challenge people. So when you look at the, the prescription that he puts forward, and you look at the way people do life, fuck mate, makes heaps of sense. Why a lot of people are struggling. Like, and again, you know, as you kind of alluded to, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a bulletproof recipe. But what I have seen in the work that I do, clients, is you know, obviously they come to me in all different kind of shapes and sizes and form in terms of where they're at, and. You know, what I've noticed from a mental health point of view is that the better you know yourself and the better you know what's true to you, the more likely you'll be able to kind of move through that mental health stuff. and. It's it's that has been a bulletproof process for me so far in terms of right, cool, you're you're not in a good place. Let's really unpack the truth of who you are, and then we'll assess where your mental health is at. And fuck, mate, it goes through the roof. So, you know, again, it's not bulletproof by any means, but what I've seen um, collectively is a deep understanding of self has a dramatic improvement on your mental well-being. So you say that's the first step, but should be just an analysis of yourself in a way? I think so. I think so. And it's obviously not something Johan talks about in that, that book and he talks about kind of seven different connection pieces that are super valuable which like I absolutely 100% agree. And if I was to throw an eighth in there, it'd be a deep understanding of self, which would have a massive impact. You know, the pills and the potions and the powders that everyone's on for mental health and anxiety and all that stuff, like absolutely. Let's like give me 16 weeks with them and then we'll reassess how many of them still need those pills, potions and powders after that.
1: I mean, yeah, like, and I guess this is where I wanted to understand because I guess the pharmacological issue, and it se- sounds like in this book he's pretty damning on some of the backdoor stuff that goes on to kind of push these solutions yeah. where it's not needed. Mm. So I guess that that's a part which I feel like, because I haven't read it, so you might have to correct me on this, because I'm always mm. like, I 100% agree that modern society in general is because of its kind of one-size-fits-all structure, which it has to be because we're all living together in one place, it's going to mm. have this issue where people are going to be not in the right environment for their own, how they operate but I guess the the part which and I don't know how much he goes into it I'd want to be very careful at the same time about like like I think a lot of people do need that stuff and especially I think a lot of people do need that stuff especially for a short period of time because if you're if you're in a bad place and your brain's not doing what it should you might need that stuff to help you then pull yourself out of it and I guess the ideal thing is unless it's shown otherwise is that you get off your goal should be to eventually not need that stuff anymore I would say But at the same time, there shouldn't be a stigma attached to needing it, I guess. Like it's a weird, Mm -mm. that's where I kind of like, I'm always torn about that because yeah, I don't want to go into like, yeah, you don't need any of it. Because like a lot of people do and environments can be where you can't change them that much. So you need Mm -hmm. it forever. Like I I always think of the most obvious example I think of is like, if you want to work a normal job, like a normal person, you're probably going to have to get up at a certain time. And some people just can't, they struggle to get up at that time. So you're going to need coffee to kind of Mm. get you through. And so I don't know, that's, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Well, it's, it's, you know, I three things that have always charged me massively, and not necessarily in a good way, have been Big Pharma, mainstream media, and the government, in terms of how I see those three organisations. And what I don't want to do is blanket statement everyone and everything into corruption and everything that goes on, because there's obviously a hell of a lot of good people within those organisations, and they do do plenty of things right, and... There is a hell of a lot of corruption in these industries when you kind of start to peel back the layers. And one of them that we're talking about is, is Big Pharma. And, you know, he throws some really insightful research forward, which warmed my soul because I don't want this shit to go on unsaid. And I don't want people to be so disempowered that they think they can't take their health into their own hands. And I agree with you. For some people, there's a period of time where you may need to stay on antidepressants, anxiety medication, whatever it may be. But as I said to you before, if you give me someone for four months, and it may be that we wean them off. You give me someone for four months and we do it deep, deep dive on who they truly are and start to have them live more aligned with that person, I'm going to say 9 out of 10 will be off the meds after that. And you've got to remember like these businesses, you know, while we can kind of look at it any way we want, they're for profit. So would you give someone one-off pill or would you give someone pills that they can spend their next 15 years on and not be empowered to take their health and their mental health into their own hands? Because if you gave me a set of antidepressants or antidepressants and then gave me a plan of how I can come off them over the next... 3 to 9 months that's a different story but I don't see that happening I don't see your your GPs going you know what For the next month we're going to put you on antidepressants but here's a plan of like exercising sunlight nutrition connection getting in nature let's see if we can wean you off it that's not a profitable business model The wellness industry isn't profitable, the sickness industry is fucking profitable, we're seeing it right now perfectly. But that's where he starts to bring light to like, these big organizations need to be challenged and we need to work out what good is coming from it and what is potentially not cool in terms of the way that they're going about some of these things. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact?
1: Right. This is kind of the topic, which I think I could see in this book kind of coming up because I was like, yeah, it's it's a contrast. I mean, like you said, right now you're seeing this in terms of the science issues right now around uh, obviously vaccines and things like that. But, mm. and I think like it, it can be complicated because yes, systems are innately messy. And I do agree. I think the easy solution a lot of time is to just throw pills at us something and not, especially like, but even there, I'm like, I think a part of it is just people might not realize that you've got to put in more work to go see a psychiatrist, go see a psychologist and like work through this stuff slowly but instead because a doctor might just only see them once and they're like well I can't do anything else you should go see this person but you know all Mm -hmm. I can do is give you pills so like even there I'm always like It's just a system that, like, everyone's doing their own thing, but because you don't have these structures in place, it can end up not helping people, even though, I mean, even the doctors would be sitting there saying, hey, the best thing for you is to go see a psychologist, but I can't make you go, so all I can do is give you some pills. And, like, that's where, even there, I'm always, like, tentative about making it all, like, one big bad thing. And I guess that's where, like, yeah, so uh, just because right now, the science issue of... Dealing with this stuff has become obviously very, very big topic in terms of uh, the vaccines and things like that. So yeah, that's where kind of like I fall. Yeah, I'm, I'm always very tentative because I 100% agree with the idea that because even what you're saying there, structure and stuff can help people get out of it. I actually agree with that as well. But I'm always like very careful about how to phrase it, if you know what I mean.
0: Totally. Yeah, it's. I, I totally get that it's a challenging topic and, and a challenging space, and I feel well versed to speak on it. Haven't experienced the darkest of moments myself and got myself out of it, but also suicidal attempts in family, alcoholism, you know, really bad depression, anxiety in, in relationships. Like I've seen, you know, to be fair, the way the world world's structured these days, a lot of people have seen firsthand the impact of negative or, you know, of, of mental health struggles But I don't think it's the most empowering system for people to go, fuck, I need to take control of my health and get myself out of it. Like, I know people who were kind of, you know, semi struggling and a bit anxious and and a bit flat. Before I started my struggle, and you know, never got really bad, and they're still struggling there for years. Like I've been to the bottom and brought myself out of it. You know, three year period, and these other guys are still stuck in story of like, you know, I'm hoping these fucking pills kick in one day and I just miraculously am better. Like you got to take charge. You got to take charge. You got to do deep discovery of self and understand what you're about and make the calls to start living in alignment. Like with with that in order to improve your health and mental health.
1: Mm. Well, yeah, that's, I guess, what, yeah, looking at that from a wider picture is what that book is about. I guess it sounds like that's what your uh, your whole attitude now is switched to. So um, Mm -hmm. on that front, I guess, like, is there, to go back to you and your processes, because I actually am really interested in that like, do you have daily things you do to kind of keep you on track or like weekly things? Have you like said no to like no more alcohol or something like that? Or, and do you have daily routines you go through to kind of
0: handle it? Because yeah, obviously that's a big part of it. I'm just curious. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, um, Yeah, I mean, fuck, I've got a number of daily things that I do. The good thing for me now is that I'm in a position where every day is pretty fucking good. And that's not just toxic positivity of like trying to be positive. Like I literally mean that every day is pretty good. And, you know, I'm big on you're either creating creating a life by design or a life by default. And most people are living a life by default. And what that means is that they're just... They're not challenging this the status quo. They're not challenging their way of thinking. They're just kind of doing the same thing day in, day out. Before I had my 18-month doozy, I had somewhat of a vision. I was like, cool, I'm going to start to transition out of the fitness space and transition in the coaching space. i will probably live in either Newcastle or I was down in at the time. i will probably either live in Newcastle or Byron and you know, I want this coaching business. And that was... Four years ago, and a life by design is essentially exactly as it sounds creating your life by design. And when you're living that way, you know, it's really hard to be shit mentally if you've created the life that you want to live. And, you know, for me, it's. Like I'm stoked, you know, I live in Byron Bay, I'm working with people that I want to work with, doing the stuff that I love. And I'm keeping myself kind of challenged mentally, physically, you know, emotionally, etc. And, you know, a big part for me's been meditation, which ever since I moved to Byron, I was kind of dipping in and out of it before I moved to Byron. And then, you know, I think I've missed kind of three days in the last eighteen months. So that's been like the forefront of my mornings. Journaling every morning has been one, you know, as I kind of mentioned, exercise is massive for me. Nature which has plenty of good surf spots and beaches and sun up here in Byron, like those are the foundation of everything that's good for me. And I guess the big thing as well is creating the business and the lifestyle that I want. You know, like I love my job. And, you know, Johan Hari talks about that in the book. I think it's there's a, there's a study from 2012 Gallup from the Gallup study by the Gallup group and it's like 13% of people love their job fuck you spend a lot of time at that job you want to find a way to love it or tie it into the sense of meaning and you know i look at the clients that i work with and i, I get excited about you know checking in with all of them it's not like i've got you know a whole bunch of fucking drainers that i'm not looking forward to like i have created this over an 18 month period where you know for a lot of people they're living for the weekends they're living for the holidays they're living for christmas like my Monday to Friday is just as good as my Saturday and Sunday. And personally, I'm not saying it's easy, but personally I think everyone's capable of that, you know, but the, mo- the majority of people are playing small and, you know, pretty scared of stepping into the unknown, which again, you know, based on human evolution, there's a good reason why we stay familiar, you know, going back from an evolutionary standpoint. If you left the tribe or you left what was unfamiliar, you might have been killed off by another tribe. You might have got eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. Like we are born to sit and stay in what's familiar, even if it's not what is necessarily best for us. Yeah. It's better the devil, you know, a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Spot on. First, of all, let me just say,
1: I think uh, a solution to anyone's issues would probably involve moving to Byron with that sun and surf and all that's that. Spot on. <laughs> Couldn't agree
0: more. <laughs> like that. it's,
1: so that's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's a big one, I feel like. Yeah. If you can go for a nice surf yeah. every day in beautiful weather, I think it's going to it's gonna make you feel a bit cheerful,
0: more cheerful straight yeah. away.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. 100%. <laughs> but like, yeah, because what you're in now with the coaching stuff, like I, it's industry. I've got some people I know who have gone kind of into the same sort of sphere. Yeah some I've, I've kind of got an insight into it from the outside and you see the full range of people who do that sort of thing. So I do feel yeah. like I want to, I feel like people would want to say this. So I'm, I'm going to say it even though I'm just kind of highlighting it. But obviously you're going to have a lot of people in there who are just snake oil salesmen promoting whatever, exactly. make yourself feel good, jump up and down and then da da da. But they don't actually, you know, it doesn't really actually adding any value like that. So yeah. I guess firstly, how can you catch yourself out? Because I'm assuming a lot of them probably think they're doing the right thing and maybe they just don't know. Yeah. Or, and I'm, I'm sure so. Some are actually just straight up dodgy. So, how do you how do you maintain that to make sure you're not kind of falling into being one of those people? Or do you have any opinions about those people? Or
0: yeah, I'm sure you get asked this. Surely, when did you talk about this? Although maybe by her Bay. It's, um... <laughs> Yeah, I saw someone post about it the other day. That exact thing. I think the you know there's the pros and the cons of it. In that we're probably in a world where you know like when I started in personal training in 2003, it was literally just for the CEOs and the Hollywood people, and then it became a fucking massive industry over that kind of 15 year period that I was in there. And coaching is is probably heading down that path, and I would imagine it's going to be massive over the next 15 years. And for me, there's you know there's a couple of ways to look at it. There's obviously the cynical, critical, negative part that's like, you know, what are some of these people doing in this space? And then there's the positive part of like, fuck, everyone needs a coach, I think, on some level, whether it's a relationship coach, whether it's a business coach. And personally, I think everyone needs a, you know, mental well being mindset coach. Even if they spend some fucking once a year, and they just set you know some a bit of a protocol for the year ahead. And the thing with it is, the good will always come through, and the people that do a good job will always shine through. Is my belief. So you know, if you are dodging, and you know, even if it's unintentional, or or you aren't adding a huge amount of value, then your business isn't going to be that successful. Like that's the nature of the beast. And everyone's got to start somewhere. You know, like. If I think about my first year of personal training as an 18-year-old, like what the fuck would I possibly know about connecting with a 35, 40, 45-year-old when I'm 18? Like I didn't. So my relationships were kind of you know, somewhat challenging. But the thing from a coaching point of view is look at your business. You know, like are you retaining people? Are they happy? Are they spreading the word? If they're not, keep upskilling and keep upskilling until you, you become good at your craft and, you know... I can't remember whose rule it is, the 10,000-hour rule. It doesn't necessarily have to be 10,000 hours. But if you're new to the game of coaching, I'll be working fucking hard, picking up every book, you know, probably investing in yourself with another coach who can coach you so you can learn things off them in order to be able to have big impact and, most importantly, probably come into integrity and, and live by that.
1: Right. And I guess, like, yeah, there's a few things there. So would you... Because it sounds like there is some, a fair bit of crossover between, let's say, uh, the coaching side of things and maybe something like therapy or going to see a psychologist in some ways. Mm. Now I was thinking about it; It sounds like it's quite similar in terms of what you guys are offering, I guess. So, like, do you see like an issue there with the fact that you know there's like a professional field that kind of exists for that, and then there's something like this? Do you see that? Is there a conflict there, or is there? You say to people, "Go see a therapist" as well as coming here. Like,
0: how does it? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's having. Um, Spent a lot of time in the fitness industry and obviously you known in the health industry. That's a similar theme there. If you're not traditional by the book, then you can question some of the other people in the industry. You know, and even you know in the health and fitness industry, there was a, you know a piece around those that did exercise phys, and you know they would question people who did an eight-week training program. And in the nutrition space, you know, have you done a three or four year? I can't remember what's called the Bachelor in Nutrition or are you a naturopath who's done an eight-week course? And now having spent 16 or 17 years in this space... I see the value in the kind of traditional academic, you know, follow this path, go to university, do this. And I can see a lot of people who will pick up more books and read more research and do more learnings than those that are kind of hang their hat on their three-year degree that they did fucking six years ago. So there's, there's a pros and the cons of it. and you know, from a coaching point of view, I spend two to four hours a day probably researching, reading, learning. And, you know, someone's going to question my coaching, then we'll probably be best spent looking at the results that I'm getting. And that's where I sit now in this kind of in-between space. And I guess I'm slightly more pro results and time in the industry than I am just being the academic who's spending time in the lab. You know, like I want to see the real results, probably in part because I'm not the academic myself and in part because I have spent 17 years seeing that, you know, some of the people who are academics, you know, some of them have struggled really badly socially. So you've got this academic who can't connect or relate with their client, but yet they've got their, you know, the shiny certificates up on their wall. And you've got a fellow who, you know, did a ten week course, fifteen week course, then went on and spent two, three, four hours a day studying, learning, researching, and is the busiest person, you know, in the coaching space or in the fitness industry, whatever it may be. So I see the pros and the cons of each. You know, at the end of the day you've got to come back to integrity, not necessarily from a what certificate degree bachelor have you got? But are you staying in alignment with your truth? Are you getting results? And are you having a massively positive you know, impact on those people that you cross paths with?
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, that's true. And I think uh, you're going to find, yeah, people in any industry that are going to not be doing, representing it the best they could. I, I guess on that note, though, uh, to just go further into that for a bit, Do you have people, like, even in your space, where, like, uh, what's the word for it? I think it's, like, the winner's curse thing. Like, you end up just with the people that appreciate what you're doing, but the people who maybe it doesn't work for, they just kind of fall to the side. Because then you you might end up with a thing where everyone around you likes what you're doing, but, like, actually, that's only because everyone who doesn't like it hasn't stuck around. So then you're like, well, this works for everyone. But actually, you don't see the fact that it doesn't work
0: for some people, I guess. You know what I mean? Well, I guess the way that I look at it um, is that it works... 100% of the time for those that are 100% committed. And, you know, the most common theme of those that leave is that, oh, this didn't work for me like the other five or six programs didn't work for me. And you, you start to ask questions of like, so who's the common denominator in these six programs that you've been through and they haven't worked? You start asking questions. The average person does four different fad diets a year, who's the common denominator? So in my head, that works well for the health and fitness industry. But if you were thinking about it from a psychology point of view, a psychological point of view, you'd be going, okay, so on the common theme, what I should actually go and do is work with a you know NLP coach, a hypno person aside and work out why I can't actually see anything through and why I've got no fucking grid or backbone to stay consistent the whole way through the six-week program, the eight-week program, the 10-week program, the 12-month. That's the common theme. And, mate, I had it for 15 years in the health and fitness industry. I've run a six-week program. You're giving 100 people the same program, the same nutrition guidelines. So why are some going and losing 8 and 10 kilos in six weeks? And some are like kind of just flailing around and just kind of doing bits and pieces. They're being prescribed the same thing, and that's for me why it's so important up here to understand the impact of the mental game because you're prescribing two people the exact same thing. One's going to completely transform their life, and the other one's just like carrying on about why it didn't work. From you know, like the other seven programs haven't worked for either.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I guess this is where I'm always very sensitive because because I, I've it's weird. Because I found it quite easy, like in terms of my body shape, I think I generally actually, it was very easy for me to be fit early. I had access, my brother liked it, so I got into it early. So that's why I'm always very reserved, actually, about judging the people who don't. And I'm always like, like one example, I think, and you might, I'm sure in your sphere, you would know about this, the whole intermittent fasting thing and how that's exploded in the last few years. And mm-hmm. I think uh, there's one specific book, I think it's called The Obesity Epidemic or The Obesity Go, The Guy Who Started... Jason Fung, who was exploitable yep. and you read it and you're like, well, see, here's the problem for a lot of people because for 15 years, yeah, they were getting seven different courses, but they were all, they were all wrong because they weren't mm. addressing the issue for these people. And like, so that's why even with your saying there about, like, the grit and needed for that and you apply it to different people. But, like, for me, and this is probably the opposite of what coaching is about in a way, but, like, when it requires grit too much, you're fucked because, like, no one has that level of grit. The best you can do is structure your day and do that to have the grit forced on you almost, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so that's why, like... yeah. I'm always very tentative about judging people for like, ah, oh, you weren't tough enough to do this because, like, it's more complicated than that, and like, that's why I always think of that. Yeah, the fact that they found, oh, it doesn't matter how much weight you lose for in a fat diet, it's never going to work if you don't address these deeper issues. And yeah, totally. so that's why. I, yeah, I'm tentative about using the
0: grit word. Totally. So the most important bit of the example I just gave is is it a recurring theme? Because if you've done, if you've had the same outcome for the last six, like if that's your first diet and you fall off the bandwagon that's a different story if you've tried 10 and you haven't seen through one that's a recurring theme that isn't necessarily working for you and you probably need to reverse engineer it and go well here's 10 diet you know even the word diet kind of irks me but here's 10 diets that i haven't seen through like Something's not working for me, and what I've seen, at least in my sixteen years in the or well, fifteen years in the health industry, now you know three years in the coaching, everyone starts well. Everyone starts well. Lots of noise first week, two weeks, three weeks. Everyone's up and about. Everyone's consistent, and then people drop off. Anyone can fucking start well, and that's why you know one of my I guess favorite quotes: enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. Everyone's enthusiastic at the start of a new plan. But what happens when the shine wears off? Like how consistent are you there? And the big thing to remember as well with it is like you don't have to perfect it on day one. Like I've been working with a naturopath now for five months and she gave me all these, you know, herbs and everything. I was like, cool, that's a that's a big change from the lifestyle I'm currently living. And I've chipped away at it for the last five months, a little bit better, a little bit better. And if someone struggles you know, with emotional eating or whatever it might be, then they're probably going to struggle continuously with emotional eating despite whatever nutrition plan it is. So what does it look like to, instead of having you know, two coffees a day to, to cut it to one, what does it look like to you know, go from fucking cereal to a green smoothie each morning? And then just like from a habitual point of view, James Clear Atomic Habits, is just change one thing, repeat that, nail it, build some resilience around that, and then add the next layer to it.
1: Yeah. And I guess uh, that's where it's, yeah, you mentioned James Clear as well. It's funny because I, I was reading some uh, other stuff about the kind of same thing and it falls at the idea of like uh, how to say this. It's And this actually connects back with the lost connections of what you were saying at the start and maybe where there's a bit of a difference there because well, like how I'm looking at it because I kind of see it like, The self-check and the self-reflection, whilst important, it's almost like secondary to setting up these habits and stuff, which will make you then figure yourself out. So like even with the Lost Connections book that we discussed, you're saying how like it's about connecting to nature, connecting to family, connecting to meaningful work. And I'm always like, yeah, so almost like there's the external stuff you can do to help you find yourself almost. And like that's what this book seems to almost say in a weird way. Like, so, and it sounds so simplistic, and people kill me in a lot of situations for saying stuff. I've had people say it to me before, but it's like sometimes you're just like, well, have you walked through a park in the past week? <laughs> like, is it <laughs> something as simple as that can help you feel yeah. better about like other stuff? So, yeah, I guess sometimes I'm torn about like the contrast between, yeah, the self reflection versus, nah, just drink some water. <laughs> like, you're basically a plant, get some sun. Sunlight and drink some water and then like, yeah, do that other stuff.
0: Mate, everyone wants something that's shiny and like different, but they're, they're not prepared to do the basic things continuously. And again, you don't need to go from zero to hundred. You just need to get from zero to one. You know, and I use the, the Ironman as a perfect example. Like if I gave the Ironman too much thought when I started of like fucking, you know, 12 months time, I've got to do this. I'd feel super overwhelmed, so overwhelmed that I probably wouldn't start. But if I was looking at what my coach provided me for that week, which was like three sessions in the first... Way I'm like cool. Just stay here, focus on this. And water's a perfect example. Like you know, you're looking to lose twenty kilos, but you're trying to fucking perfect this food plan, which may take you twelve months to perfect or to work towards, and that's fine. But like, what happens if we just trade out one coffee a day for water, and you sit with that and nail that? Like, stop looking for the shiny hacks. Just do the basics well and make sure you're consistent with them. And that's what a lot of people struggle with is the consistency piece. Mm. That's
1: kind of like, there is no, yeah. How can you, I don't know. That's the part I, I struggle with as well. I think, I think everyone does like, how do you do, cause it's, cause you need the novelty in a way to almost stay consistent in a weird way. Like it's hard to yeah, yeah keep it going when you don't, um, yeah. How do you do it every week? Let's say if you're not naturally a super crazy motivated person. Yeah. Is, yeah. is that something you, uh, you
0: have methods around? Well, for me, it kind of, it really does come back to I guess what I said earlier of having a deep understanding of what's true to you. And and you know, if someone comes to me and says, "I'm not motivated." One of the fir- the first things I'll do is I'll bring to light that they probably don't know where their motivation lies. And what I mean by that is everyone's got a value hierarchy, right? And that's a, uh, a hierarchy from the most important value all your way down. So if someone comes to me, you know, let's say for example a mother of two comes to me and says, I'm not motivated. I'd be like, well, cool. At the moment you're not motivated by exercise, but tell me about your kids. An hour later she stopped talking about her kids. I'm like, cool. So that's where your motivation lies. You just didn't know that it lay there. And you know what they talk about, Dr. Demartini talks about this a lot, is the further down your value hierarchy you go, the less motivation, time, energy you're gonna give something. So if you wanna get fit, but fitness is number 11 on your value hierarchy, you've pretty much got a fuck all chance of making that like one a priority and two getting results from it. So he kind of talks about the things in the top five of your value hierarchy as being the areas you're most likely to have success in. And what that might mean is that you need to find a way to link something lower, e.g. your fitness, to something higher. So instead of fitness being about, you know, squatting 40 kilos, 50 kilos, What does fitness give you from a mum point of view? It gives you energy to play with your kids. It gives you the ability to run around with them in the park, whatever it might be. And that's often a way that you need to find a link to what is, you know, super high in your value hierarchy and what is motivational to you.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, 100%. That does sound like a, yeah, again, finding those motivators that connect deeper with you, I guess. And yeah, so I guess that's finding yeah. the connections.
0: <laughs> totally. Well, yeah. the, the other thing as well, from my point of view, is my upbringing was less than ideal. And I wouldn't necessarily want that for anyone. But what I would want is the results that it brought me. And what I mean by that is I don't like, you know, four days in a year and, you know, my, my partner and my best mate can probably attest to this, probably there's four days in a year where I don't feel motivated. And, you know, a big part of that is because I'm, everything that I do is heavily linked to what was, you know, a passionate, painful experience in my childhood. So the, the painful moments that I went through have also become the fuel to my fire every day. And that's, you know, part of why I said I wouldn't want anyone to kind of experience what I went through. But if that was the catalyst for their fuel, then fuck, I'd want every person to find that peace that fuels their fire every day. Yeah, as long as it doesn't yeah I guess cause that kind of any trauma issues that yeah as long it, as it's in a positive way yeah, yeah as long as it comes that's, in a positive light,
1: yeah yeah again that's another example where it's like I do feel like the suffering to get good it's like well yes but like you can do it in a more positive way it doesn't have to be fully pain like as when people are like oh you know you gotta to climb totally. tough everyone's too soft now it's like well you know you don't need to have grown up climbing a mountain to be tough I guess so yeah totally. that's the other yeah. side as well. Okay. I guess uh, we should probably call it there. I think we've probably gone on for quite a while. I could keep picking your brain about this stuff all day, but there was, okay, this is, I don't think I could even put this in the podcast, but it's just, I saw your photos on Instagram of you doing the ice bath and I was like, yeah, that's, so I agree with that. Yeah. How often do you do that?
0: Yeah. Well, I haven't done it that much in the last couple of months. I'm probably due for a couple before I am man, but again, mate, as well, like that's a brilliant way to build mental toughness. Do you know what I mean? Like The first time we did it, we were down here at uh, the the beach, kind of in in Byron, and it was fucking horrible. And I don't know how you feel with it, but that first 30 seconds in an ice bath doesn't seem to ever get any easier. And, you know, to a point where we did it for, we, we did the, you know, the standard three minute ice bath the first time. And then, you know, we went away to a retreat and we did 20 minutes in ice bath. But again, just building that from a three-minute to I think a six-minute to a 12-minute and then to a 20-minute, like mental toughness can be built and it might mean that you try to fucking run a kilometre and, you know, you find yourself running 400 metres and then walking 600 metres. It doesn't matter where you start. If you're waiting for that perfect moment where, you know, the tides line up with the full moon, with, you know, Scorpio season, with, you know, whatever it might be, like it's just – that's just a bullshit story that you're telling yourself. You got to get started, and none of us are here judging you for what you can or can't do, you know. And, and for a lot of people, they're in, in a bad way in some way, shape, or form. But all that matters is getting started.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's why I think uh, one. I've had a few friends use and swear by is uh, that catch to five k yeah, app that exists. Yeah, a lot of people that. say that like that's the exact example of something where like it makes you just. Really go slow yeah. to get there. Like yeah. it's very yeah. helpful giving you that structure. So awesome. yeah, which again, that's just coaching in an app form. So yeah, <laughs> I, d- yeah, it's quite I on. definitely get it. Um, okay, well, cool. We've, we thanks so much for being on. I guess uh, one last thing for us, so, Do you have any uh, any shout outs you want to give to anyone can follow you on anything anywhere?
0: Yeah, mate. The best spot would be on Instagram, Blakewell Thompson. There and hopefully what you find there is of value and things that you can implement into your life in some way.
1: Okay, cool. Perfect. I'll, I'll try to get a link to that in the show notes anyway. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Blake Royal-Thompson. It's pleasure to have you on.
0: Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at SansPants Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com. For as little as $5 a month, you can have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com.